our Lord and our God, ruler of the universe. We praise your name for your word. We praise your name for the living word. And we ask that you would be alive in our hearts and our minds right now. And illuminate us and may we see your face in your word, in your scriptures. In Yeshua's holy name. Amen. Our topic tonight is from Prophet Hosea, chapters 4 through 6. Starting in chapter 4, verse 1. David, they're telling me that uh, it's not loud enough. Either they got it, you're right. You turn the mic up? It's all the way up. It's all the way up? I don't hear any mic at all. You're not hearing the mic at all? No. I'm getting signals. Getting signal, testing, one, two, three. Not a little bit. I can use one of these. Is that better? Is that better? That's better? Okay. Alright, I'm going to shut the other one down altogether, Dave. Okay. So, verse 1, chapter 4, verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord, children of Israel. There is no truth or mercy or knowledge of God in the land. Whew. That's a pretty heavy start. By swearing, lying, killing, stealing, and committing adultery, they break all restraint with bloodshed upon bloodshed. Therefore, the land will mourn. Everyone will waste away. Wow, pretty sad. There's a lot of places in the world still today that that describes. Bloodshed and swearing and lying and killing, stealing, committing adultery and breaking all restraint. Washington, and we see even uh, areas where, where God's word is. This is happening even more so, or picking up steam as well. There is more and more swearing and lying and killing. I mean, that's America's television today. Stealing, committing adultery, I mean, it's just commonplace and allowed more and more. And why? There is no truth or biblical mercy or knowledge of God in the land. Oh, there's a professed mercy. Tolerance is not biblical mercy. And what the so-called tolerance today is often very intolerant of biblical principles and those that want to follow the Bible. And so this all comes about, this is the end result. You sow to the wind, you reap the whirlwind. You sow the seeds of, there's no truth. There's no absolutes. There's lots of truths. Everybody has truths. There's lots of ways to heaven. You're okay, I'm okay, we're all okay. Just tolerate one another. Just coexist together. And we should, you know, love even our enemies. But this idea that everybody is right is wrong. Not everybody can be right. So they say there is no truth. And thus there is no real mercy. And there is no knowledge of God. A denial of God. A denial of the word of God. Oh, we have the Bible all over the place. For sale all over the place. And freely given away in lots of places. And on display in lots of places. But as far as a knowledge of the word of God. And a knowledge of God. Not in the land. For the most part. Some simple questions, surveys are done to see our biblical knowledge even here in the United States. Basically a letter country. Most people can't name three of the Ten Commandments or, or you know, many simple questions. 
And so the end result ends up being our swearing and our lying to each other and our killing one another, both physically and, and, and backstabbing and verbally and stealing from one another. Again, physically and then in other ways as well. And committing adultery and all of all its forms and fornication and lusts of all kinds and breaking all restraints as far as the law of God is concerned. Therefore, the land will mourn. It mourned in Israel's day, and there'll be a mourning in the world again. My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I also will reject you from being priest for me. Because you have forgotten the law of your God, I also will forget your children. Heavy. Heavy. I mean, God knew where to hit home, right? He didn't say, I will forget you. You have forgotten me. I have forgotten you. Some people wouldn't even care about that. But when it says, you have forgotten me, thus I will forget your children, that wakes up a lot of people. A lot of people are more concerned for their kids than they are for themselves. And it's not that God's trying this tit for tat. Oh, you hurt my feelings. Oh, you forgot me. I'll show you. I'm going to forget your children. It's just the end result. As we forget God, then we don't pass it down to our children. And they come out even worse than we are. It always gets worse. Again, we sow wind, we reap whirlwind. It gets worse. And so we teach, and that's what's been going on for over a thousand years, close to two thousand years, teaching the law of God is gone and done away with and, and an unbiblical type of mercy and and we're reaping the end results of no restraint. Everything goes. And then each generation gets worse with it. We had a revival with the Reformation and then downhill again. We're on the downhill path. And why? My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because they reject knowledge. Now we say that today, oh, the people are rejecting knowledge. Many people would say, oh, are you kidding me? we got more universities now. we got higher education more now than ever. People have a higher education. People know more things than ever before. But he's not just talking about knowledge. He's talking about knowledge of God. The really first and true knowledge. And all other knowledge builds on that. Science is important. Mathematics is important. All of these things, history is important. Rightly understood through the lens of God's word. True science matches up with God's word. History rightly understood as explained through God's word. Understanding nature. Understanding biology. Understanding the history of this world. Rightly understood through the lens of God's word. Not in contrast to it, not in denial of it. And so we're rejecting true knowledge when we are rejecting the knowledge that comes through God. When we reject God. Then we really don't know anything. And even with all our knowledge, sometimes we're getting dumber because we're getting more dependent on computers and tablets and the internet to know things for us. We don't have to know anything. We just search for it and it tells us. So we reject the true knowledge of God, thus we reject true knowledge. 
and then we are destroyed and we are destroying ourselves in our pursuit of knowledge and we go nuts Voltaire pursuing knowledge why nuts lots of the so-called brilliant atheists of the world went nuts. And so God doesn't reject us out of a, again, a, a spite. He rejects us because we've rejected him. He, he, we can no longer receive him is really what he's saying. As we reject him, we reject the ability to receive him. And then again, our children then resist even more. And thus as we are resisting receiving him, it is as if God has rejected us. That's what he's saying. Because, I mean, God, how could he reject us? When he's already paid the price for us. When he's already created us. When he's already loved us. When he's already planned for us to be in heaven with him. It's not him rejecting us as much as us rejecting him. And thus, he cannot receive us. The more they increased, the more they sinned against me. And I will change their glory into shame. They eat up the sin of my people. They set their heart on their iniquity. They shall eat, but not have enough. They shall commit harlotry, but not increase, because they have ceased obeying the Lord. So at one time, we were walking in obedience. At one time, we were prospering in God. But the more we increase in our resistance against him, the more we choose to disobey him, the more we choose to commit the hollow trees of this world and against him, we can eat, but we'll never have enough. Well, that sounds like our society today. Eating, and I'm not just talking about physical food eating, although that certainly applies, but we just feel like we never have enough. We need more, we need more gadgets, we need more things, we need more shoes, we need more clothes, we need more, 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 more. And yet we never are satisfied. We never feel like we have enough. And even if we commit adultery, it says harlotry, we still don't increase. We don't have more children, is what it's saying. That's again, not talking about physical children, but there's no increase for God's cause. There's no increase in heaven because of this type of harlotry. We're not benefiting from all the false knowledges of the world that we try and fill our minds with. It doesn't get better, it only gets worse. It's empty. It's empty, is what he's saying. And why is it empty? Because we have ceased obeying the Lord. True happiness, true prosperity, comes in obedience to the Lord. It's an amazing principle. The more we give to Him, time, energies, talents, finances, the more we surrender to Him and turn over to Him, the more we have and the more we're satisfied. As Paul wrote, I've had and I've lived without, but in all things I have learned to be content. And contentment with godliness is better than anything. Being able to be content is so glorious. 
And yet we strive and we try and collect so that we can get contentment, so that we can feel like we finally reached where we're happy. And we go at it the wrong way. Contentment comes through choice and choosing to obey God. And then God provides all our needs according to his riches and glory. God says, chapter 5, verse 3, I know Ephraim and Israel is not hidden from me. O Ephraim, you commit harlotry. Israel is defiled. They do not direct their deeds toward turning to their God. For the spirit of harlotry is in their midst, and they do not know the Lord. And that is sad. Not seeking the knowledge of the Lord. Destroyed for a lack of knowledge. True knowledge of God's word. Not obeying him. Not increasing with all our efforts. Never having enough with all our efforts. And it comes down to because they did not know the Lord. God wants us to know him. What a beautiful God we have. That wants us to know him. And that word know there... Yadam is the same word that's used when it says, and Adam knew Eve. And they conceived, she conceived and had a child. God wants us to not just intellectually know him. And there's a lot of people in this world, even professed believers, who don't have a knowledge of the word of God. But then there are some who do have a very great knowledge of the Word of God as far as intellectually having it memorized. But God wants more than that. God wants us to be able to know Him personally as an intimate husband-wife relationship. Even better than that. God wants us to know Him as He knows us. And He says He knows every hair on our head he knows the plans that he has for us, plans to prosper us and not to harm us, to give us hope and an expected end. And he wants us to know him. What a beautiful God. A God that wants a mutual relationship with us. And even word relationship is really very weak. He wants us to experience him. And to experience him mutually, not just a, him talking down to us, nor us just talking up to him. But he wants a mutual experience. For us to know him as he knows us. To know him as he really is. And we get a beautiful picture of him, and we get to know him as we spend time with him, as we pray to him, as we read his word and we get to know him. But even before that happens, he wants to know us by coming inside us and transforming us and changing us so that we have a desire to know him. So that we have a desire to pray to him. So that we have a desire to read his word. And pray to him not just as you know, a wish list, but pray to him as we want to talk with him. 
We just want to sit down and talk to Him. And listen to Him. And read from His Word. Again, not for an intellectual, but as a, a letter from a friend. A letter from a loved one. A correspondence from someone we're separated from from distance or time. We don't, again, with emails and all this now and phones, we don't cherish the concept of getting a letter in the mail. But before we had, you know, the phones and cell phones and all these kind of things, getting a letter in the mail was special. Especially people that were at war and didn't have open communication and they'd get a letter. Oh, how special it'd be. Or you get a letter from them. Reading God's Word like that specialness of it and the personalness of it as he's speaking to us directly that we can know the Lord. What a wonderful God we have. That he left the throne of heaven, came down to be with us and to be among us and as one of us so that he could know us and so that we could know him so that we could see him. What a beautiful God. The pride of Israel, verse 5, the pride of Israel testifies to his face. Therefore Israel and Ephraim stumble in their iniquity. Judah also stumbles with them. And with their flocks and herds they seek the Lord, but they will not find him. He has withdrawn himself from them. Wow. It says they seek him and they seek him with flocks and herds and so no doubt sacrifices. They're bringing sacrifices. Oh, here God, take our sacrifices here, take our herds. And they're seeking him in that way. But he can't, they can't find him. He has withdrawn himself from them. That's a scary thought. We'll jump away from Hosea here for a second. We'll go to Isaiah chapter 5, verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. There's a time where he can't be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. So these, in the other verse in Hosea where it says they seek him and they seek him with his flocks and herds. They can't find him. Why? They've either sought him too late or with wrong motives. Here we have Cain and Abel. Abel offered a sacrifice to God. But he wasn't seeking in sincerity of heart. He was seeking with a wicked heart, with a selfish heart, to try and get something for himself. And with his own works of his own hands. And not the offering that God required. And what does God require of us? Mercy. That we walk humbly with our God. Yeah. 
And so the let us forsake, the wicked forsake his way. And the unrighteous man, his thoughts turn from our sins, repent and turn from the sinfulness and return to God and God will have mercy upon us. When we come to him in sincerity of truth, as long as our probationary time on this earth hasn't closed, as long as we haven't hardened our hearts so much against God that we cannot hear him, that we cannot receive him, as long as we seek him while there is still opportunity for us to seek him. He will abundantly pardon and he will have mercy on us as we seek him in sincerity and truth. How do we get that sincerity and truth? How do we seek him with our whole heart? How do we seek him? How do we forsake our wickedness? How do we turn away our thoughts, our unrighteous thoughts? God does that. That's God's work as well. The Bible says the repentance is a gift from God. The gift of repentance. If we will allow God to give us repentance, if we will allow God to take our mind, to surrender our mind to Him, He will change our thoughts. Otherwise we're just fighting against our thoughts, but our thoughts are us. And we can't gain the victory over our thoughts by ourselves. But he can change our thoughts. The Bible says, let this mind be in us, in you, that was in the Messiah Yeshua. He wants to give us his very mind, his very thoughts. He says, I will write my laws on your hearts and on your minds. If we allow him, he will give us a turning in our minds and in our ways. He will give us the ability to forsake our unrighteous ways. And then we can seek him in truth. Back to Hosea. They deal, verse 7, they deal treacherously with the Lord, for they have begotten pagan children. Now a new moon shall devour them and their heritage. Blow the ram's horn in Gilbeah and the trumpet in Ramah. Cry aloud, Beth Avon. Look behind you, O Bethlehem. Sound the trumpet. Sound the warning message. Shofars are used for announcing war. We need to war against the flesh. We need to war against the devil in God's might, in God's power. Shofars were used as calling for prayer. It's a time for prayer, a time for repentance. Shofars were used on Rosh Hashanah to call us for repentance. Sound the trumpet. Blow the ram's horn. And the shofars were used for sounding the warning message. God's calling us to get the message out there, to turn from our wicked ways and to turn to God. And as when I was talking about this land today and the wickedness in it, many heads were acknowledging that. Well, God wants us to not just acknowledge, oh yeah, it's wicked out there, but to do something about it. To blow the trumpet. To sound the alarm. To tell the message. I was driving down the road the other day, all the way, five hour drive. And I was stuck behind this car and had this coexist bumper sticker on it, you know. And uh, finally got around him. So I let him watch my bumper sticker for a while. Right, so I got, <laughs> got in front of him. <laughs> and then I got behind another coexist. And I got to thinking, wow, how many of these things are there out there? And then I started wondering, how many coexist bumper stickers are there 
in relation to true biblical type of bumper stickers. I end up seeing a third coexist bumper sticker. And only one biblical themed bumper sticker. So the trumpet is not being sounded. A message of, again, not of knowledge of God and not of a true mercy, but of this, just this tolerance. Just there are many ways to heaven, just do everything, whatever you want, choose from among the list. Doesn't matter. It does matter. And Ephraim shall be, verse 9, Ephraim shall be desolate in the day of rebuke among the tribes of Israel. I will make known what is sure. The princes of Judah are like those who remove a landmark. I will pour out my wrath on them like water. Ephraim is oppressed and broken in judgment because he willingly walked by human precepts. God knows what's going on. There's nothing new under the sun. Written thousands of years ago. And that's the problem today. We are willingly walking by human precepts. Thus we are disobeying God. Thus we are rejecting true knowledge. Thus we don't know the Lord. We're walking our human ways, what we think is right. And the Bible tells us our minds are enmity against God. And yet we think we can figure things out and study to know God. Psychology and psychiatry, it's all about the study of the mind to help people that are having trouble with their mind. And so they're studying enmity against God in order to help those who are at enmity against God. Instead, we need to study the divine mind in whose image we were originally created in. To restore the carnal mind, the wicked thoughts, back to the divine mind. But we willingly walk in our human precepts. Just do it. Whatsoever seems right unto us. And whatever seems right unto us in our carnal state is wrong. So we're walking in our own ways in disobedience to God and in denial of Him and a lack of knowledge of Him. Verse 12, I will be like a moth to Ephraim and rottenness to Judah. Ephraim shall be his, uh, shall, Ephraim saw his sickness and Judah saw his wound. Ephraim went to Assyria, yet he cannot cure you or heal, heal you. I'll be like a lion to Ephraim and like a young lion to Judah. I will tear them and go away and no one shall rescue. So we run to other things. Ephraim saw his sickness. Judah saw their wound. And instead of going to God for help, they ran to other people. They went to the Syrians to help them. We need to run to God in our time of need. Come boldly before the throne of grace to find help in our time of need. Come before God's throne. Come before the mercy seat of God where the blood has been spelt, where has been anointed by the sacrifice of the divine lamb, the lamb of God. Verse 15, I will return again to my place 
until they acknowledge their offense. Then they will seek my face. In their affliction, they will earnestly seek me. This is a different seeking than we saw earlier. God says, I will return again to my place. He'll return again to his holy throne. He'll pour out his spirit again and draw them. And he'll stay there until they acknowledge their offense. And that's the difference. Then we will seek his face. Not just, oh, shower me with blessings. Oh, do something for me. Oh, help me out. But the seeking will be to know him and to see his face. And it's preceded by acknowledging of our offense. Acknowledging that we are sinful. Acknowledging that we have made mistakes. Confession. Specific confession. With true repentance. And in their affliction, affliction of soul, searching of soul, sorrow for the sin, they will earnestly seek him. As we yield ourselves to God, allow him to give us that gift of repentance. So we ask him to show himself to us. And as we start to see him as he really is, and as we continue to see him as he really is, we will see ourselves in contrast, and we will yell out, oh, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. Depart from me. I am a wicked man. We will truly seek him. And in that state, we will truly find him. And then chapter, one, verse, chapter 6, verse 1 says, Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn, but he will heal us. As we turn to him in true repentance, acknowledging our com and confessing our offenses, he will heal us. He is stricken, but he will bind us up. He will hold us together. He will seal us up. He will help us. He will heal us. After two days, he will revive us. And on the third day, he will raise us up that we may live in his sight. And so for two days, we feel torn and broken up and hurting and in pain. And on the third day, he will raise us up. What is Hosea talking about here? What is he prophesying? For two days, we thought it's over. He was going to be king. The Yeshua was going to be king. We were going to anoint him as the Messiah. He was going to reign here on earth. He was going to rid us of all our enemies. Shouting the Hosannas as he came for the Passover. This is the time. This is the coronation. He's going to deliver us. Throwing palm branches before him as he's coming riding on a donkey. Over the Mount of Olives. This is it. And then he dies. We can't believe our eyes. All hope is dashed. We believed he was the one. We were stricken. Our hearts were torn. All hopes were dashed. 
But on the third day, he revived us as he showed up in the upper room and said, Shalom Aleichem, peace unto you. He lives. He lives. Could also be prophetic in a sense of since that time, two days, thousand years with the Lord, take us to the end of time. But then as we enter the third time, He will rise us up. The resurrection and bring us up to heaven to be with Him. Verse 3, let us know, let us pursue the knowledge of the Lord. Pursue it. And not just knowledge, but the knowledge of the Lord. His going forth is established as the morning, and he will come to us like the rain, like the latter rain and former rain to the earth. He will come to us. If we turn to him and acknowledge our sins, Lord, help us. He will reach down and help us. Lord, help me in my unbelief. Give me more faith. Give me a desire for you. Give me a longing for you. He will revive us. He will raise us up. He will come to us as the rain, as the early rain, the pouring out of God's Spirit, the mighty manifestation. Thousands coming to the Lord in Jerusalem and all around Jerusalem and then throughout Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And in the latter days, God wants to do it again and even in more strong measure. He will come as the rain. As we know Him. As we pursue knowing Him and seeing His face. Verse 4, Ephraim, what shall I do to you? Judah, what shall I do to you? Your faithfulness is like the morning cloud, like the early dew that goes away. Starts off good, starts off full, and then just kind of evaporates away. I have hewn them by the prophets. I have slain them by the words of my mouth. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God more than burnt offering. And this brings us back to what they said before, where they sought the Lord. They had their, their, their animals with them, and they sought the Lord. But God says, I'm not asking for a sacrifice. Why are they bringing their sacrifice? Because they want to continue sinning. Just sacrifice. I just do wrong, and I'll just bring another lamb. I'll just bring another sacrifice and I'll give it to the Lord like it's a payment. And then I'll just continue in my way. And then I'll just give another one. And we'll be even. We'll be okay. God's saying that's not what he's wanting. He's not just wanting continual sacrifices. He wants us to walk with him. And to walk in obedience with him. So that we don't have to continually confess. He desires us to have mercy. Be filled with His mercy. He wants to have mercy on us and He wants to so fill us with His Spirit that 
mercy shines out of us. Not as being unmerciful and just confessing it all the time. He wants to give us victory over sin. He wants us to know God. Not just continually give burnt offerings. Not to be just slaves to Him. But to know Him. To embrace Him. To walk with Him. And walk in fellowship with Him. What a loving God. What a wonderful God. He's not demanding. He doesn't love the taste of the blood of bulls and of goats. He's not wanting these continual sacrifices. He's wanting a surrendered heart that he can fill with his spirit that will walk in obedience with him. He wants us walking in harmony with him. Not constantly against him, but just always confessing. I mean, how would you like a friendship with that? person continually stabbing you in the back, but continually apologizing. Oh, very apologetic, but continually doing you wrong. How long would that go on? How long would you allow that relationship to continue? Hopefully not very long at all. God said, that's not what I want. I don't want you just continually uh, apologizing. Apologizing. I want you to come on my side with me and walk with me. I have seen a horrible thing in the house of Israel. There is a harlotry in Ephraim. Israel is defiled. O Judah, a harvest is appointed for you when I return the captives of my people. That text can be probably interpreted two different ways or at least two different ways. Saying, I'm coming after you, Ephraim coming after you Israel and about 40 to 80 years after this they are taken captive then when I return I'm going to come and get you Judah and a few hundred years after that Judah does fall and Babylon does come but it can also be looked at horrible thing is going to happen to Ephraim it's defiled but Judah a harvest is appointed for you when I return the captives of my people. Judah will receive a harvest because the lion of the tribe of Judah will come. The Messiah will come. And a harvest has been appointed. A harvest of people unto God when he returns the captives and sets the captive free. That Judah will grow. God's people will grow in prosperity and in knowledge of Him, and in walking with Him, and with strength and with power, and in number. And we saw that. Two days we were torn. On the third day He raised us up, and thousands came to the Lord out of Judah. And then again spread from there. So let's review. When we have no truth or mercy or knowledge of God in the land. There is swearing and lying and stealing and killing and committing adultery. We're destroyed for a lack of knowledge. We forget the law of God. We do not know the Lord. 
and then we seek him too late or with an insincere heart or for selfish motives and reasons and we are willingly led by human precepts. That's how it was then and still today. The land ends up mourning. Everyone will waste away. We're rejected by God. God will forget our children. Our glory will be turned into shame. We'll never have enough and we will not increase. We will not know the Lord and we will not find the Lord. But if we seek the Lord with true repentance and return to the Lord with true confession, He will heal. And as we pursue the knowledge of the Lord, we will receive mercy and be able to give mercy instead, and have victory instead of just continual sacrifice. He will rise us up. And there will be an abundant harvest as well. As we seek to know the Lord and His glory, receive His forgiveness because of the sacrifice He has already paid in our behalf. Yeshua has already died. We don't have to offer sacrifices over and over again. And he has given us his spirit so that we don't have to continue in sin, that we have to continually accept his sacrifice for the same sin over and over again. And we can see his face and see him face to face and truly know the Lord and walk in his love and in his light. As we pray together, let us seek to know the Lord. Let us allow him to remove out of our hearts and mind everything that's keeping us from growing in him. That's keeping us from expanding in knowledge and in mercy and in truth and in love. And in seeing his face. And if we've just been struggling with the same thing and confessing it over and over again, let's move on by His power, by His grace, because of His sacrifice, into victory in that area and then into the next one. As we pray together. Our Lord and our God, ruler of the universe, we're thankful that you love us with an everlasting love. We're thankful that you're constantly seeking after us Thank you that you first loved us. Thank you that you have come to us, that you have Emmanuel, that you have become God with us. We're thankful for drawing us with your everlasting love. Thank you for awakening in us, even an interest in you, that we're here today listening to you, reading your word. Lord, now move us into the next stage. Lord, break us through the wall that keeps us from truly seeing you. Forgive us, Lord, for walking in our own human precepts, in our own ways and whatever seems right to us. Lord, give us a desire to seek you and to walk in your word and in your way and to walk with you. Take us by the arm and walk us with you. And let us see your face. And let us truly know you. 
In Yeshua's holy name, amen.